I want this. I want all of this. I want to I want to live it. I want to be it. I want to do it. Welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to queer parties. I'm Robin, and I'm here with the very studious, I don't know, librarian-ish <laughs> vibes. Sarah, how are you, Sarah? I'm good. Any fuck yeahs today? How are you feeling? I do have a fuck yeah. So we that? are just kicking off the new year over here. Yeah. And I have a new job. Yes. So excited for that. And I am really excited about it. And I took a little bit of time off between Christmas and the new year to just reset. And um, I am going to be the director. I am the director of marketing for Magic Wand, which if you know sex toys at all, I mean, this is just like to get to support the legacy of the magic wand is so, I mean, in like the sex toy space, I just can't really imagine anything better, really. I mean, it's like the Dolly Parton of sex toys. Yes. Been around forever. Yeah. Everyone loves Love it. it. Yeah. Everyone's heard of it and appreciates it. Even if it's not your vibe, you know of it and you know of the of the magic it does in the world, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it makes me feel really aligned with like, you know, kind of the early motivations that I had for getting in this industry. Like pleasure products for me were really not revolutionary, but they uh, cracked open self-discovery. Mm-hmm. They got me into sex ed. And there is just so much value that I feel like toys have in people's lives to just make pleasure more accessible. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to work on a brand that is actually really just invested in that ethos mm-hmm. and where I get to do brand work rather than like a whole bunch of commercial work that's rooted in capitalism. Like not that I I, I understand that any marketing job you have ultimately is, you know, uh, the capitalism is coming into play, but this is just, I feel I have lots of good feelings. Yeah. I'm happy that you're going to be, your stress levels are going to go down and your hours sitting in in the chair in front of the computer are going to go down a bit, right? From your mouth to the goddess's ears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel, um, I feel like I'm back in relationship to work in a way where I have a bit more agency and control Mm -hmm. and I'm like going to be working on a brand that I'm really excited about and with people that I really respect. I mean, I've been working with people I really respect, but um, yeah, I'm excited. New beginnings, new year, new beginnings. Mm, Fuck yeah. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we're talking about parties today, queer <gasps> parties with one yes. of our oldest friends. Yeah, I know. It's been so nice. Uh, you know, it, through the fall, we went on a, a journey with some, you know, some experts that we had never met before. Mm-hmm. And then our last couple episodes, we've had friends. And so it's nice to have this friend on. It's I mean, we know her as Vanessa X killer. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people these days know her as Nessie. Mm-hmm. And then she was, you know, who was Curl Girls, Vanessa? There's been so many iterations of Vanessa yeah. Craig, but party promoter, social media maven, surfer. Local celebrity. Local cele- like. L- celeb- local lesbian celebrity. Oh, local celebrity. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> And um, community organizer. She does so much work in the community and also integrating a community ethos into how she does all of her work, accessibility, Mm -hmm. inclusion, all of this is really important to her. So we're going to talk about parties with like what makes a good party we're gonna take a little walk down memory lane into the 90s mm-hmm. talk about lesbian culture yeah yeah i can't wait let's get into it let's do it vanessa welcome to fuck yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you it's good to be here we do some rapid fire questions to warm people up. Oh, you ready for it? <laughs> fire away. What is the last photo on your phone? Oh my God. Well, it's actually in relation to this interview um, and the questions that you sent me. And I was uh, reading up on Marie Cartier. Um, okay. Baby, you are my, my religion in reference to the importance of queer spaces. <laughs> Because nice. I'm like full full service. Like I want to know. I like I have it on backup. I have my glasses. I have my notes app. Like, you know, of course I prepare it all within the 30 minutes that before I came here. But yeah, Marie Cartier. So you screenshot an article, yeah. nerd. <laughs> <laughs> little known secret. I'm hella nerd. Yeah, I love this. Maybe love- it's not a little known secret. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I'm like a self-proclaimed nerd. Always come prepared. Uh, yeah, totally. Who was your first celebrity crush? You know, I've seen you guys ask this, and this is what always gets posted on the on the talks and whatever. <laughs> and I was like, my my celebrity crush was not that exciting, but like, let's say the first three kind of like embody like yeah. the stages. So the first one was this character who's really obscure unless you are maybe our age. A good 35, you know? <laughs> um, so there was this show a while back called Chips. It nope. was mm-hmm. Ponch and John, whatever. And um, there was a character named Bonnie. And she was like the hot blonde cop. And I was like, ooh. Like everyone's all, ooh, Ponch, ooh, John. And I was like, ooh, Bonnie. Like what? what's her story? And I didn't know why, you know, I was so into Bonnie and her hair and her her big eyes that I was into her. I was like, you go get those bad guys. You know? <laughs> I can't wait to look Bonnie up because yeah. it is always about the other two. And I'm like really interested to see Bonnie's look and make some pretty big assessments. Give me your notes, in, <laughs> you know, send them in, yeah. in a note app. Um, 
But she had she was wearing all khaki, like the mm. the LA uniform. And right. like, you know, growing up in LA, like you always see like just dudes on the bikes and like to see Bonnie like in the cop uniform. Boo cops, but yay Bonnie. Let's just say that. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and they should have a spin-off called like Bon and John. You right? know, like just all about Bonnie and her bike. And- Bonnie's chips. <laughs> Okay, so who were the next two that you think, you know, informs the Bonnie? Okay, so the next one, like, my world got, like, turned upside down when I saw, like, Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. Like, I kind of have a shame around it, but, like, it's so basic and instinctual that it, like, just, I was like, that's it. It's basic. It's there. I I want it. Like, wow, what is that? Like, cool. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't you're never basic. Yeah, but I don't no, think these are basic. She's raw female sexuality. Yeah, just so the power she held in yeah. that scene. Like, you know the scene. I'm not even going to tell you what scene. It was a big deal at that time. She's, yeah. I mean, she was straight up doming cops yes. while being interrogated with a one-way mirror. And to like dom... <laughs> it, I mean, she was very, being very dominating with the thing that usually women... Are, it's used against them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Doming with sexuality. Completely. And like, you know, as like coming into like my early feminist era at that Mm -hmm. point, you know, I had a boyfriend and I would drag him to Planned Parenthood with me. I'd make him sit there the whole time anytime I had to get a pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And he sat there the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was That's like, you're, if I'm here, you're here, bitch. Yeah, nice. You know, but like I was coming into that empowerment of, of myself and, I, you know, I probably knew I was queer, but you know, right. d- didn't know it was possible because I didn't see it. Right. So I had to, li- so I thought I had to live this life mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Sharon opened a world to, to maybe not cognitive, but just literally instinctual, like feelings wise, you know, yeah, attraction. And I was like, then I had to sit with that. <laughs> like, yeah. what yeah. is happening? Yeah. What does that mean? And then cut to, I think maybe I saw this as a double feature because we used to sneak into the movies in the valley, like one mm-hmm. after the other. <laughs> So I saw Mi Vida Loca in the theater. Mm. Allison Anders. Mm. Yes. Mi Vida Loca. And there was Mousy and Sad Girl. Yes. The oh. two main characters, you know, who both had Ernesto's baby. And the whole time I was just like, they should just make out. Because yes. that whole scene where she's like, what are you going to do with that comb? Mal- you know, brush my hair. And I was like, yes, please brush her hair. <laughs> <laughs> right now at Echo Park Lake. Fuck. Yes. And I couldn't decide which one I liked more or maybe I wanted to be like more. Mm. But over the years, my attraction slash connection with them, I just would, they were always in my head. Well, it's a real L.A. connection, too. Yeah. It's very, very L.A. movie. And I think as like three people from a certain generation from L.A., like it has that. I, I, I have to go watch that movie now. I don't think I've seen that since the 90s. And it I hit me yeah. hard. It was like, hard. yeah, I have it on VHS. And I have oh. it signed by Danny Trejo. Oh, because oh, you styled him once. I styled him for a national. I fucking died. Like, you know, any job I ever did, like, that's the job. That is the job. Going to Danny Trejo's house in Mission Hills, styling him for this Nat Geo thing. Thank you, Gina Young, for getting me that job. And... Just sitting there with him on his flip phone talking about Pacoima, where I went to school, and like he, you know, talking about Casual Dreamer and his role in the film. Yeah. And then I literally was like, I'm sorry, dude, but will you sign this for me? And he just was You brought like, it with you. I, I love it. I fucking had to. I fucking had to. I don't fangirl. I don't do that stuff ever. Yeah, but ever. that's so cool. But like with him, I was just like, 
this is this you're the guy yeah i yeah. think i like i just peaked mm-hmm. yes thank oh, you thank you so good <laughs> so yes oh. watch it <laughs> all of that together makes this great vanessa stew i can see it right it's very it. la isn't yeah. it yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's very you. in the whole relationship of crush and is it really a crush or is it that I want to be like, do I want to embody this energy? Like yeah. I love when people are able to identify like, oh, actually that early stage stuff was act- was me just finding myself. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. What was your first mode of masturbation? Oh my God. I remember this so, so well because it changed my life. Like I saw the world so differently in that moment. I was in Germany because my mom took me to see our family because she's from Germany. How old are you? I was like 16 or 17. Okay. And we had been there a couple times before to see my grandparents. I'm still not gay, but I'm kind of like having thoughts. (laughs) But up to this point, you had not masturbated. Uh, Maybe like touching here and there. And like, you know, when you're like a kid, like you find things that you kind of like move on and Mm -hmm. you're like, what is this (laughs) happening? And you're like, huh, okay, that's weird, but cool. Uh, This is like the first time that I actually like orgasmed. Okay. So to me, I'm sorry, to me, that's the first time. Yeah. Right, sure. Yeah. Define it how you like. That I actually counted it because I didn't have any words for it because we, LAUSD did not teach you anything. (laughs) Except how to put a condom on a banana. Right. That's useful though. And then, yeah, it's very useful. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) If you're going to use a banana, please put a fucking condom on it. Please, (laughs) please. <laughs> uh, I need a rounder tip. I don't know about you. But yeah, and then the condom flew off and hit the teacher in the face. <laughs> it was the best day ever. Classic. Anyway, so this kind of like was in the bathtub because in Germany they're all into their baths mm-hmm. and stuff. It was bed, bath, and beyond. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you, I found the thing because, yep. you know, in LA we just had the regular two thing, bath thing, but over there they had the removable thing. Yes, <laughs> they have the removable hose <sighs> like with the shower right head. Now. You're using thing for every word. <laughs> and then I smurfed with the smurf smurf. <laughs> the smurf came off. I, I smurfed but off. I know hard. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Girl, I, I smurfed you dirty hard. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like, uh, I'm a little spacey just from life right now. But yeah. so I so I took the thing uh-huh. and the removable hosey the thing. Showerhead. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, lack of sleep, multiple no. genocides. You know, yeah. just trying to function. So I took that and I was like. You know, just what happens, you know, just, oh, this water is hotter than the tub water. So I was like, who just like, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> I just kind of like moved with the flow of water mm-hmm. and then just bam. Yeah. Smurfed. Yeah. That's how I smurfed the first time. Really? Too. Yeah. Yeah. It was the best way. Cause it's, I felt it's so the best. like, cause yeah, after then, you're in this warm body of water, oh, yeah. it's like being hugged by the bathtub. Yeah. It's just, wonderful. Yeah. Water pressure. Water pressure. Yeah, we gotta date, make sure that you both get the new shower head for yeah. Womanizer. There's a there's finding a shower <laughs> because, head that's made for this. <laughs> yeah. I mean you have to adapt your shower to add a hose, but they've got it at Home Depot 
And apparently it's amazing. Yeah. Those I mean, the shower head is not at Home Depot, but the adapters are at Home yeah. Depot. They're so yeah. good at that non-penetrative. Oh, yeah. I know. Elemental penetration. Yeah. <laughs> the elements. Yeah. Hopefully hey. not fire. Yeah. <laughs> but then everything made sense to me. In that moment, the world made sense to me. Ooh, yeah. I was I like, love it. this is this is what the world is about. Why is everybody talking about sex all the time? Why is it why are women on screen looking like, you know, that? You yeah. know, that skinny hot thing that we were told that we had to be like right. all the time just thrown at us mm-hmm. like what is the big deal i was like can i see some more skateboarding and some more like <laughs> i don't know like art or something no it's just sex and yeah body image and like i was like why is everybody so obsessed like calm down and then i was like oh i fucking get it yes mm. and then all the like power plays mm. came into mind like why the role role of women role of mm-hmm. men and like why that's why that is how that is and why it's like being reinforced and holy shit fuck all that now that i know i have that power and that knowledge to turn it around yeah and to see it differently and that's when you started throwing parties yes <laughs> great segue <laughs> right? Right? right i did it <laughs> yes. thank you sex parties thank you. Oh, oh, time. sex parties no but i mean it is like this moment where you're realizing what pleasure in one's own body means, what pleasure for pleasure's sake, what in that empowerment that can come from that and that readjustment of like, wait, what am I doing with my life? When you start centering pleasure more in your own pleasure, then I guess like authenticity and exploration and curiosity can come out of that. You've really built a lot of community yeah. around parties which is really fundamental, I think, to queer communities. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that. But was it orgasms that led you down this road? <laughs> <laughs> or something else? Like, how did Let's you... Let's rewrite history. Let's yes. just say yes. <laughs> it, was, it was that shower head. But that the times, all. too, right? Mm-hmm. The 90s were a special, special time. Yeah, it was different. So how'd you get into it? Yeah, I I was thinking about that on, you know, on my way over while I was screenshotting like a nerd (laughs) and thinking about what other people say about queer parties and why they started them or whatever. And then I was just like, had to focus on like my own experience, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, just a lot of like isolation. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I'm crying. Oh, my God. I don't know Uh. why. We love the cries. We're here. We got all the room in the space for it. Barbara Streisand. (laughs) (laughs) So emotional for me. A lot of mom trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of being left alone. Yes. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, which I understand, you know, like we all had to be alone, you know, because we had two working parents that were being, di- that were divorcing and yep. that's how it was. And that's the Gen X story. Total Gen X. I am so Gen X. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking Gen X. I was just like, felt so alone. Yeah. Uh, even though I had like a friends, you know, they were all straight at that time. Um, you rarely saw any like queer people in the valley. Every five miles more you went west, it got less gay and mm-hmm. <laughs> just got more homophobic, basically. And mm. so I just didn't know where I fit in. So I was throwing parties back in high school, like organizing birthdays and big things at places mm-hmm. already like there was a gym and they had a little outdoor patio mm-hmm. and it was my 22nd birthday and I, I did this whole thing and like I had my glamour shot as the mm. cover oh, oh yes. so good classic <laughs> that I need for the, for the socials yes. oh, okay <laughs> and I was like okay I'm gonna throw this huge party um because I always just like to gather people mm-hmm 
and my mom like went away to Germany, I would have parties at my house, like ragers. Yeah. And like, I figured out the reason that she knew is because the house was too clean when she returned. <laughs> yeah, and we were missing like a stove burner, right. <laughs> like, like a thing that you turned to stuff. I was like, why would anyone steal that? Yeah. yeah. And so I would always be throwing parties and trying to get people together, like, or going to parties and just fucking loving it. It was such a release for me. Yeah. Like dancing. I can dance a little. You are yes, a great yes, dancer. Yes, you can. <laughs> so, so like dancing for me was like a huge element of that music. And did it relieve that sense of loneliness temporarily? Yeah, it did. I mean, I was still like alone within. Right. And I still feel like that in the queer community sometimes. Yeah. I feel like alone within. Yep. Mm. So doing that first party way back then in this gym, <laughs> I, like, I realized that I love more than just the party. I love everything about it. I mm-hmm. obsess about it. From start to finish and even like aftercare because that's what you need because you're going to have party crash. Mm-hmm. So the joy I took was in figuring out the name. Was it a pun? Was it cute? Was it funny? Was it relevant? Like getting the flyer together, making the graphics, doing the promotion, talking to people about it, writing the copy, like all of it. Like I had curly sauce and cornbread play as the two bands. <laughs> so I served <laughs> pasta and cornbread. Right. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's lovely. Every little thing, like I'm like, that's cool. Like, yeah. So yeah, then as I became, as I came out, I guess, yeah. segue into like queer, the queer part of the parties. So as I was coming out, I went to a bar and I was, that was it, like a gay bar. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Do like, you remember which one? Yes. Which one? <laughs> so I was either Mickey's or Rage. I get them confused. So West Hollywood so gay bar. West Hollywood gay boy stuff. Yeah. I was like, okay. But like that didn't sell me because it okay. was just dudes. Right. Right. And then a couple weeks later, we went to the Palms. Okay. Mm. So that was the second gay palms. bar. Palms. R.I.P. So like that was the second gay bar I went to. And that was like a lesbian bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my life kind of changed again. I was like, oh, you're out here, like, just living your best life, dancing, making out, drinking dollar beers on Wednesdays. What? Yeah. What is, like, and then my programmed mind was like, all I was ever taught was that we're going to die, you know, a suicide. Um, We won't have a job. Mm -hmm. You know, you Mm -hmm. can never get married. Mm -hmm. Like, you have no rights. You will... Like, you're just going to live a shitty, dark life if you're queer. And then I was like, "Uh -uh. Mm -mm. (laughs) uh-uh. Not at the Palms, right? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And so, like, in that moment, I was just like, I want this. I want all of this. I want to live it. I want to be it. I want to do it. You want to make the space for it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, it's interesting you painting that picture the context around it because I did want to ask you what you think has changed about the queer parties nightlife in general since the 90s but right there is kind of the kernel of that question which is like the need for it isn't as pressing I do think that the isolation like we still are dealing with a lot in our culture but that is so I was really into rave culture when I was in high school like I just that was I think where I found myself before I even found my queerness like those were probably the kernels of it was in going to raves and it was so life-giving 
And so I guess I wonder, you know, when you look, I mean, you're still doing parties today. <laughs> I try. And there's still a need for the queer party. But what do you think has changed? Uh, yeah, like you said, because there are more spaces now, there are more parties now, there is more queer acceptance and visibility. Stuff I'd never thought I would see. Like in movies, there's a gay character that's just woven into the script. Right. That, you know, isn't getting killed or being bullied. You know, it's just just, just what it is. But before, like, in, okay, so like in contrast with like the 40s and the 50s where I think what I was reading from Marie Cartier and another film which... I recently saw We Are All We've Got, I think it was mm-hmm. called. Oh, okay. So it talks about the import- the need for that stuff in terms of survival, finding community, visibility, just where you get your information from. So I think it was way more important back then. And, and as things got into the 90s, things got a little more like upbeat. You know, this is like after like AIDS crisis, etc. So people started really having f- more fun, I think. Mm-hmm. But what's changed even more, I think, is that there's just less competition it seems less competitive Mm. because i think that the early lesbian clubs were modeling after what they saw the most which was like male dominated cis gay men clubs Mm -hmm. uh, mostly in west hollywood because there wasn't a there were there were more there was like red's bar there was like the catch there were other areas of course but when I started coming out, all I saw was West Hollywood and all I saw was this competitive nature that mm-hmm. women were taking on, lesbian club promoters were kind of taking on hmm. within themselves. Not mm-hmm. fighting the men, but fighting, having this competitive vibe, you hmm. know? Yeah. So I think that now we just kind of work together more, like we support each other more and like we respect each other more. And at the same time, there's less like lesbian bars, at least in LA, right? And it's kind of an a thing happening across the country, isn't it? Yes. The disappearance of the lesbian bar, which creates this like narrative of like some weird type of failure, I guess, Mm. or like subconsciously. And in that movie, we are all we've got. The director or the narrator, Clements, I think is her name. I'm so sorry for getting that. But she talks about that we created our own spaces throughout history in, in houses, in, you know, backyards and like everywhere that was possible the, her history archives is in a in a house right mm-hmm. so it, it, you want to talk about like physical spaces yeah it sucks it sucks that these these actual brick and mortar places are have disappeared which are slightly researching resurging now mm-hmm. it's kind of like a sad damper on the trajectory of like queer lesbian nightlife yeah and i wonder why that is i mean I think it's like, okay, the rent is too damn high. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, how the fuck are we going to afford that? And also, I think, like, the business model for a lot of queer or lesbian spaces hasn't always been, like, let's make that money. Right. (laughs) It's like, let's have that softball game. Uh, Let's get together. Let's have this uh, other meeting here at the bar that's outside of just partying and having fun because so-and-so, we need a fundraiser for them. You know what I mean? I think it is more community-minded than your traditional straight bar or even your like cis gay dude bars where there's double incomes and there's more money in that pool and they go out more. That model doesn't necessarily work for lesbian spaces to do that gay cis model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so much the bars that were like modeling after cis gay mm-hmm. uh, men spaces. It was the promoters. Okay. Yeah. So you had girl bar. Right. Sandy and Robin, who would always kind of like call the fire department on the other competing night, Fuel by <laughs> Stephanie. Really? Yeah. Uh, they had a beef. I was part of this beef, you know, de facto because I was out flyering for stuff. Yeah. Outside of Girl Bar. 
at like 2 a.m. just to piss them off. <laughs> like oh I was God. part of this. I was complicit in this like mm-hmm. this little beef, you know? Shout out to Stephanie and Rie and Fuel, which was like the nightclub that I got started with back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Girl Bar was the competitor. Mm-hmm. And they just had like an ongoing beef for two years. You, you know that documentary or that film Beef on the yeah. series? Yeah. <laughs> like it was like that, but like promoter wars. Wow. Like calling the fire department at like midnight when we are giving stuff a congrats on your three year anniversary of fuel event. Like yeah. I think Anne Haitian and Ellen were there that night too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is when celebrities started coming out. It was yeah. funny. Now, honestly, a lot of us are in a little uh, group in a DM, like a group chat that Nick Casey started. That I'll tell you the story of why that started. Okay. But we all were all like, oh, will you share this for me? Will you share this for me? You know, and it's everything from like queer, trans, stripper, dance nights. Mm-hmm. Just so everybody's just all here. Drag nights. There's like Casa Cucci, then Fatal. There's Alejandro's night. Of course, there's like Hot Flash. There's just like so many different parties. Yeah. And now we all like work together to try to like help each other out, you know? Yeah. And boost. What is the secret sauce for it? Because you're listing off a bunch of night. I mean, there's institutions, right? Like even though we don't have bars anymore, there are queer nights that just become an institution. And you know that on this day, this weekend of the month or this Thursday, whatever, that's where you go. So what do you think is the secret sauce that builds a great party or one that's going to really last? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think I never thought of that until after, till later in life. <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> till my later party years. Cause I was just doing it. Yeah. Cause I didn't know how to do it. I, I learned a little bit from stuff, but I learned a lot of bad things from that era, from the nineties, from party promoting in the nineties. I learned what not to do mm-hmm. and how I would do it differently. And that's also why I started. Because I saw that and I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to make it more inclusive and accessible and not as cis gay modeled, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Cis man gay modeled. But for me, I just, I, I have this thing where I obsess. <laughs> <laughs> if I, like, I'm either all in or I'm all out. So with parties, I was all in. You have to love it. Like, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's not financially rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think's the difference that the thing that you changed from that cis man gay model man gay man gay model. <laughs> from the from the from the gay boy model what'd you change what's different about the parties that you do now from the 90s model too i think they were just more expensive for mm-hmm. that time they were like kind of pricey and just the overall feel yeah sceney yeah and so that's yeah. what i'm talking about obsessing from every detail is about like the graphics yeah. and the wording and what you're saying and yeah. and how you're saying it you know, and who you think your audience is. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like only catering to this one type of person all the yeah. time or this one crowd. And the flyers were just terrible. And, you know, I was just like, there, there has to be something different out there that's like a little edgier, that's a little cooler, that's like a little more representative of like all of LA, not just this one like fucking crater bomb of rainbows in the mm-hmm. middle of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the king of flyers. 
Yeah, yeah. Totally. Like a lot of people don't realize the importance of a font. Okay, and you're <laughs> very font aware. I have I created my own font for like right. I tweaked the font for Magic Hour, mm-hmm. and I spent days on it. Mm-hmm. It's important because I obsess, mm-hmm. and I had to get the Q. I had to make the C a Q mm-hmm. and change some of the letters. And I was like, okay, well we're gonna okay lot font. You're mine now. I'm gonna fucking <laughs> magic the fuck out of you and. Also, like the design of the flyer, mm-hmm. your your copywriting. I have saved my copywriting from my Facebook events. Yeah, that's how old we are. You're an amazing copywriter. Well, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you had some events on MySpace. So let's Ooh, be let's be yeah. honest. Let's be real. Maybe even <laughs> Friendster. Friendster. I think I was I was still getting people together on Friendster. Oh wow. my god! No, MySpace. That was like that was like I was in it. I was doing oh, yeah. HTML overlays on mm-hmm. the yeah. Parties. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, the shotgun MySpace is still exists. Yes. Wow, history. What is the most memorable party you've thrown? Oh, okay, so there was a few really like chart toppy like pride events that you know we did with Les Les Croix, but. I would say the best party I ever did in my entire life was the Outfest Platinum 10-year anniversary party. Oh, was that the one I performed at? I th- you were there. Is that you the were, telephone You did the circle one? jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good party. <sighs> that was a good party. And party Pony performed parties. also, right? Pony All that there. blood. <laughs> there was a piercing was thing with Pony. Drew Drogi was there doing Chloe Sevigny. Now Bustamante was there. Ryan Heffington and the Lady Boys performed. Gina Young and Herms. Mm. Uh, Marcus Nazario had Crafter Noon in the back. I was there from like 10 a.m. with Jenny Coloca setting up. So we went downstairs to the boiler room in the Alexandria Hotel and we found the letters of the old Alexandria sign. Wow. So we took the L and the A. We went to the store and bought lights to this is all same day. And so we, so we lit them up for the photo area. Of which we went and got and like literally installed like Formica wood paneling to make it look like <laughs> like an area. Then we stole the rug from downstairs. Then we stole the benches from the mm-hmm. lobby at the Alexandria. Borrowed. We put them back. And then there was paintings in the boiler room. So we put them up on the wall. Like Amazing. historic paintings from whenever the Alexandria opened, which we think were totally haunted. That space was completely haunted. Yeah. And we put them up. And it was just like we created this whole corner, which became the most insane photo shoot for the duration of the night. I can think of multiple like iconic kind of photos that people took right there. Because it was Jenny such Kaloka. a perfect space for that. Yeah. 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 It was just like so beautiful. Like everything about that night was just magical. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It was it was the highest attended event. Of course, we had like Outfest involved too. And mm-hmm. uh, it was banging. I remember that party. It was just like that place was huge and yeah. every corner was filled. Yep. And there was always something to see. It was like a carnival yeah. on mm. the second floor of a building that is haunted in downtown LA. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, someone fell down the stairs and the ambulance <gasps> had to come, but oh they were God. okay. Yeah. Ugh. Why do you think that queer people particularly need the dance floor, need nightlife. This is kind of what I was referring to other people about. Like I was trying to reference like Jules Catch One Mm -hmm. and that documentary, Mm -hmm. Baby, You Are My Religion, where all we've got, like all of these things kind of detail in different eras why queer spaces are so important. I think they'll always be important Mm -hmm. for visibility, connection, sharing of resources, you know, even now, like social media, like when I was throwing parties, we didn't have social media. So like you felt extra like 
in need of a space, a physical space, mm-hmm. whether it was lesbian owned or not. Like you didn't care. Like you were just like, let me see some damn queer people. Yeah. Let me just drive down Santa Monica Boulevard and see a short haircut mm-hmm. <laughs> on like, oh, you know, on whoever, like some queer cutie. But I think it will always be important because the straight spaces have always been there and they're annoying, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I don't want to I don't want you to talk to me and don't hit on me. And like, let me just have a drink in peace. You know, at the queer bar, if you want to be left alone, they'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll give you their space. It's all like kind of a more consensual based culture in queer culture. Yep. You need to feel safe. Not every space is safe. Granted, a lot of these bar uh, places and events are in straight bars or straight owned bars, but it comes from the top. It comes from who's putting on the party and what their vibe is and how that trickles down. And that's the energy that will always be there. And that's also part of the sauce mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is is having the energy come from the top. You set the tone, you know? Yep. Right. Yep. Totally. Like you've been to a space where you're like, ew, like what is it? What, what is going on here? Like. Well, and that's what's shitty about Bacardi and and whatever. It's sponsoring like the giant pride events and it becomes not that they're in charge of it, but it's like you you start involving at the top and the money starts swirling around and you have influences from sponsors and everything. It becomes like a different beast. The point of it is different. The point becomes money. Totally. And that's how Dyke Day also like has come so far. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Heart-led. Yeah. And, and that's how you got into it. It's like this this drive for the love of every piece of these maniacal parties you take <laughs> on. Like the details. I mean, the details are there. Thank and, you. God, thank you. And your intention <laughs> is in the details, you know? It 100% is. It's a love. From start to finish. Yeah. Well, and another thing I want to call out about the sponsorship element that I think is maybe a little bit of what you were speaking to about kind of the commercial 90s parties that felt really competitive. Mm. Like as soon as you bring a sponsor in, you're also beholden to whatever their quote unquote community standards are. Mm -hmm. And you're having to adjust the energy of the event or cater to those needs that they have around what is respectable mm-hmm. in terms of how you show up. Mm-hmm. And that I think is kind of the antithesis of a queer part. Like that might be how gay parties are, but I think that the queer party does not have that kind of same corporate community standard overlord Mm -hmm. that can really just change the energy. And it's why it's not as lucrative of a venture as well, because when you're coming from a place of like, oh, yeah, yeah, clearly we want people to be able to hook up, right? Like that is a big part of party life Mm -hmm. is like you want to go and meet people. But ultimately, it's just about connecting, having access to community that you wouldn't have in any other space and i do think that sponsorship just brings in another it's like an element of censorship yeah even if it's a small thing like a local thing like just the the second you start putting like somebody's logo on there that's like wanting something from you either whether it's a mailing list or a cross promotion like if they're not part of like your general community it feels weird like the vibe is off. <laughs> yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it just is. Just this season, which we're only partly into it. I've been feeling this vibe of like there's a community orientedness of non-competitiveness 
of bringing people into the fold rather than competing against them and kind of growing as a group rather than just trying to struggle against each other, which is so anti-queer community anyway. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like the vibe of the season or if it's like something that's going on in the air, like the communities are, we're finally starting to shed a lot of this like capitalist competitiveness and get back to it. I'm feeling good. Thank you for doing your part by throwing these community parties and not being competitive. I, I know, like part of that is like, this is also why we need queer community is because the trauma that people, that's reignited during these times. Mm-hmm. For a lot of communities, especially like QT BIPOC communities and stuff, you know, like I'm not saying like I'm the creator of that space, but like queer spaces, healing spaces in general are super important because you you literally like a phone is only going to do so much. You need to like literally be next to like somebody's body and like feel feel that energy. It's Mm -hmm. like a healing. It's fucking healing. And to feel accepted you know, yeah. and welcome. We used to do shotgun every Wednesday. So it was a weekly. Oh, I remember. And the Wednesday. <laughs> oh, the we remember. <laughs> Wednesday before Thanksgiving was always the best party of the year. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it was just like everyone needed it. There was like a thankfulness about you knew you had the next day off. Of course, that was helpful. But it was also, there was a special thing about, okay, we're all probably going into a real shitty situation tomorrow, whether we're <laughs> mm-hmm. dealing yes. with family or we're dealing with the fact that we're estranged from family. Yeah. And even when we make our own friends givings, mm-hmm. it's like it's still so heavy. And so that was always an event that each year is like, oh, damn, like we all brought it. Tonight. Yeah, we needed that community. Yeah. Yeah. What keeps bringing you back to the party life? Because you've done a lot of things <laughs> in your career, you know, and you yeah. keep coming back to the party. I've been having a lot of those like discussions with myself, honestly. Why am I still doing this? I think a little bit also always goes back to like, you know, the mom trauma mm. and, you know, that need to feel like accepted. So I'm just like, I do that for me, but I do that for other people that feel the same way because mm-hmm. people still tell me they're like oh I didn't know like this was so such an open space and I'm like yeah everybody's welcome here Mm. so I I do it for my own mental health now to get me out of the house because Mm -hmm. it's harder for me to go out of the house yeah and I still obsess so I might as well have this obsession lead to me going out of the house and having a good time with my friends yeah or bringing people together and so if I feel this way I'm sure other people feel this way Mm -hmm. and they want something that's like free that you just roll up you walk in you don't pay anything you know, to get in. It's just easy. I just want, I, I'm old and I just want easy. <laughs> I want to hang out. I want to have a beer. I want to talk to you when I can still hear you. <laughs> I might want to do a craft, you know. Mm-hmm. We're doing vision boarding in January. <laughs> January 7th, Magic Hour, Collage Great. and Cry. With book show. Collage and Cry. Collage and Cry That's for called. the new year. It's the crafting we all need. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it always has like a hint of like kink. And there's a cruising board from mm-hmm. Danielle from Dykte. And yeah, what, tell me again. What, what am what I What brings about? you back to the party? I think you answered I'm it. I'm addicted to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop doing it because I see other people doing it and I get all riled up and I'm like, I you wanna, have FOMO. I, I, get, I get serious FOMO. And, you know, that ties into the trauma I have. I'm just like feeling like left out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in this one thing that I know I can do in a certain way 
from, you know, the flyer to the copy to the newsletter to the party to the DJ to the dancer to the to the the arm wrestling to the badminton to all the things that I've done that are like a signature touch, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's like adding what element can I add to make this special or different this time? And it's exhausting, (laughs) but it's so fulfilling. So what's on your brain right now for the next party? What's your new thing that you're concocting? Any new element? I wanted to like pause. I wanted to take a pause. That would be new. Yeah, I wanted to push pause. And I don't think I can. Like Little Joy is rad. They're like super supportive. They're like, how can we help you? And I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't been able to focus. And it's been really weird trying to like post party stuff during Mm -hmm. this time. Yeah. You know, like, yes, you know, party promoters and event organizers need to pay their bills. Dancers need to pay their bills. DJs need. Joy needs to continue. Queer spaces need to continue, especially at this time. But it's so hard to even think of a concept that isn't like raise money for Palestine or how can we make this end or I'm thinking about what to do. So I I printed this shirt, which is Bison from Gaza Uh and they're, they're a journalist and I watched them like every day. They just give like a recount of what's happening or what's happened, but they do it in this way that like shines a light on culture and gives a little bit of hope. Yeah. And I just want to like hug her, like just a wonderful person. And I was like, okay, so I made this shirt and I know other people have made shirts or things to sell to raise money mm-hmm. or just have some QR codes to raise money. I don't know. Make it happen. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it, it comes like that. And mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, of course. Boom, 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 boom. That's the event. Perfect. Yeah. And like people back out and, and come back and you just kind of matrix your way. Okay, that wasn't meant to be. And then if you don't stress and you just let it just happen, the mm-hmm. right DJ will come always. Right. <laughs> like the right thing will fit in. And I'm like, that person will get back to you and say, hey, I'm available. And I'm like, oh my God, every time I let go, this party just falls into the right, right. place. Yeah, yeah. You got to let go. And when is Magic Hour so listeners can come and find you? So we are first Sundays at Little Joy in Echo Park, 3 to 8 p.m. The next one will be Sunday, January 7th. Collage and cry. Collage and cry. <laughs> I'm already there. I'm already there. <laughs> Anything else you want to promote? I want to say thank you to like all the other promoters, all the other event organizers, you know, the Dyke Day volunteers who work, who do so much labor for free. Please, for the love of God, if you are a rich lesbian or queer person, <laughs> please send money to Dyke Day. Like they super need it because they're super growing. Plug for Dyke Day. I don't know. I just want to give like a big ass hug to everyone who's been doing this. Mm-hmm. Like Irene, your mother has been doing this almost, you know, almost as long as I have and doing it fucking well. And, and like I learn from her every day. I learn from other promoters every day. And I just take the little notes and add them to my obsessed list, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but do it differently, you know. You know, both of you, I've personally seen my friends make shit happen Mm -hmm. you know and I think Dyke Day's biggest example of that of like seeing something that the community needed organizing it and then it becomes this life of its own and I don't think a lot of people necessarily think about who's actually making this night happen because you're just like looking it up and like oh let's go let's check out that party or let's go to Dyke Day and it just seems like an institution that's always been there but it's really, um, I don't know, I've learned that from, from you guys and from, you know, the community at large of like, we, we create the joy, we create 
the event and just figure out what needs to be done, figure out the permits or whatever it is, talk with the bar owners and, and make it happen. And it's really wonderful thing that you guys do. I guess maybe if there are like young people Mm -hmm. listening too. I mean, you gave the nice ode to the party promoters, but I mean, Dyke Day started in such a scrappy way. We didn't know how to do anything. Mm -hmm. But but sometimes you just have to do the damn thing. Yeah. And you fit, you learn it and you figure it out as you go. And I think people can get so caught up with needing things to be perfect Mm -hmm. before they do them. But if you need the space, other people need the space too. Yes. So like promote the hell out of it and figure the permits out later or, you know, just like, just start putting like one step towards Mm -hmm. that thing because there's so much that you can just learn in the process. And like you're saying, people, the, the right people do show up. And of course there are disaster stories, but you know, like you said, certain things then become an institution and people take them for granted, which is a great place to get to. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yes. And thank you for, uh, you, you know, your work with Dyke DLA and shotgun Mm -hmm. and all the community space you've created over the years, which I've also learned bits and pieces from. All I do is show up and do a performance. So I appreciate you guys giving me a stage all the time. (laughs) But that's a wonderful thing about the party, right? It's all about reciprocity. So the party doesn't exist without the people who come. That's right. And uh, that's, I mean, in some ways, that's the magic sauce in my mind. The special sauce. (laughs) You you throw it. Excellent. Nobody comes. But they come. there's There's been a couple times where I've cried after a party mm-hmm. either because it was so amazing but mostly because it was so draining mm. and, and emotional yeah it's like art form you put a lot into it yeah and then it has this big explosive performance you're really making like group performances in a way yeah it you is, know setting the a, stage this was some very fun reminiscing <laughs> thank, thank you guys thank you, thank you. for joining us Well, this one we recorded in my house, which was so nice to have you both here. So it made it a really intimate conversation, which was Mm -hmm. so nice. And like Ruby was occasionally kind of (laughs) popping out and interrupting. And that's something I love about Vanessa. Vanessa's so good with kids and just like sending Ruby little winks as like continuing to just flow in her story, right? It's something I love about Vanessa as a human you know we talked a little bit about Gaza Mm -hmm. off air we talked in much more depth about what's happening in the world and she creates these events these like really high peak experiences for people Mm -hmm. right and she is so the just she embodies the party host yeah and she also holds a lot of grief and like space for grief and mm-hmm. she can do both. You know, she's got this like ability to sit in the grief of the world. Yeah. And it makes me think a little bit about why we throw parties, why we're drawn to parties. Like mm-hmm. there's clearly something I think in her soul and her path that is about creating this kind of elevated experience where people can connect 
and mm-hmm. fucking dance it out. And I mean, in the case of the collaging event that's coming up, you mm. know, just kind of like weep into your art. <laughs> so yeah, she can hold space for all the things. It's so I was just going to use that term is that um, it's like she holds space for the parties, but she'll also hold space for the deep, dark depths of emotion as well. Yeah. She's yeah. a space holder. She's a space creator. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, space she's searched creator is probably the best. Space creator. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like space invader. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I like that. Space creator. I think of yeah. it that way. Yeah. You know, so that party that she mentioned as her like mega party or most mm-hmm. memorable party that I missed. I can't fucking believe that, Sarah. Come on. I know. But so I was obsessed with Peter Berlin. I had bought a copy of Knights in Leather. Mm-hmm. And really, I was just looking it up. He's only had two actual full length films which is shocking because he's such an icon. But Peter Berlin is a 70s, kind of like one of the bigger 70s porn stars, gay porn stars. And he has a very particular look. Uh, He has this kind of like blonde Dutch boy haircut. And then he's just, you know, lithe and muscly and wearing the lowest cut. You want to talk about low rise pants with bell bottoms (laughs) and their leather. Okay. Lace up crotch. It's incredible. So I had shown this particular movie to Castles and Christie, and it built into this performance. So there's one part of the movie where Peter Berlin's just sitting around at his San Francisco apartment, and he gets a phone call on this red rotary phone and has the curly Q cord. And so he picks up the phone and it's this random guy who got his number from another guy because he's been seeing Peter Berlin all around town. He basically is like, I see you all the time. I wait for you at different clubs. I watch you from afar. I take pictures of you. My house is full of pictures of you and I masturbate to pictures of you. And Peter Berlin's like, oh, really? That's so cool. Oh, I love it. Tell me more. And then, okay, and then the guy goes into a 10-minute long one-sided phone sex where you see Peter Berlin with his red phone jerking to this guy telling him just for 10 solid minutes phone sexing him. And it's so, Peter Berlin gives nothing verbally almost. He goes, oh, I like that. I'm jerking it right now. And that's like all he gives. And this other guy's giving and giving and giving. And I kind of just want to play it for you. Yes. Hello? How do you look like, huh? Oh, I'm a 
tall are you? Why did you talk to me? I, uh, I, I can't really talk to people. Mm -hmm. I, um, uh, I just, I'd like to do it this way. Do you, um, do you know what I'm doing right now while we're talking? I know, tell me. And so it's just so it's so interesting, partly just like gay culture, especially like that 70s gay, you know, this is like pre AIDS crisis. I don't know, just the way that men will interact with each other. I know it's a porn and it's a 70s porn. So of course, it's a cheesy setup. But can you imagine like a woman getting a, a rando phone call and some guy breathing? Oh, you're so hot. I've been watching you from afar. In fact, I've been taking photos of you. I've been basically stalking you. And you're, my whole room is covered in pictures of you. And I just jerk off to you. And I just imagine the things that I would do to your body. And then, the, and then you know, it's threatening. And, and so it's like to see a person who is not threatened by sexual attention from a random person is also very it's just interesting to watch because it's so not I think the you know female experience I mean that's what is so delicious about gay male sexuality yes. and why I it's so it. unabashed yeah and um you know why so many of us watch gay porn yeah and aren't interested in other kinds of porn Right. Yeah. Like, or are interested in all the kinds of porn, but especially in gay porn. And yeah, there's a um, entitlement, and I actually mean that word in a good way, yeah. to the sexual experiences mm -hmm. that I think for anyone who is cis female or was socialized female, like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that, yeah. a lot of unpacking that you got to do to get to a place where you feel entitled yeah. to sex yeah and to safety within that sexual experience yeah. I mean like when you ask that question like can you imagine this porn like I actually can imagine a feminist porn like a sort of futurist mm -hmm. surrealist magical realism porn mm -hmm. where the world in which like perhaps this like super dominant woman receives sexual attention and is not threatened by it and has all the like safety around her to enjoy it like that actually is a porn I would love to watch and I also want to mention that this is not to say that men and gay men do not experience sexual assault and sexual fear and stalking, stalking and stuff like that. And, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we ended up making a performance based on this where we all had red 
old-fashioned phones with the red cord, but all the cords were tied together. So there was, um, I think, like five or six of us all wearing white tank top undershirts and shorts, and we all had um, squirting cocks. And so it starts off, the recording is playing of the audio of this guy doing the sex talk. And we're all on the phone and the cords are all tied together in the middle. And as it progresses, you know, we're touching ourselves and everything. And then our cocks come out and we're jerking it. And we have one person in the middle. And eventually we all, they were squirting cocks. We all squirt onto our central person. And that was the performance. And it was fucking awesome. I'm so sad I missed this. Those are the days. And that <laughs> we were just talking about on the last episode is that queer platonic thing where as a group of queer people, we came up with this way to show homage to, you know, cis gay man culture of your and also present and embody our own masculine kind of sexuality through our various, you know, bodies in that in that space. I don't know. It was great. It was great. Yeah, it was within a larger queer party. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Ah, where were you, Sarah? I know. (laughs) It's hard to have FOMO about 10 years ago. (laughs) Oh, I don't find I mean, I have FOMO about 10 years ago all the time, you know? Yeah, I have FOMO about 100 years ago. You know, I'm obsessed with 20. It pisses me off that I'm not there sometimes. And uh, please find us on uh, Instagram, TikTok, at Fuck yeah Pod. Leave us a rating, a review. It would mean a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Find Vanessa online at Vanessa Craigslist, which is so funny. Come out to Magic Hour. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith-Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.